CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. I won't lie to you, it gets crazy in these parts. Hope you people are holding up well during this coronavirus pandemic. We got good days, we got bad days, we got fun days. Hopefully you can press pause on your life and enjoy what's coming at you right now. Mixed Martial Arts Edition. Not only will we be checking in on UFC 249, the updates, who can, who's on the no-fly list, whether this card can happen, whether it should happen, and so much more. Rashad Evans and I will be counting down our top five favorite fighters to watch on UFC Fight Pass during this quarantine season. And also, we've got a visit from a second Hall of Famer, Mr. Faber. That is Uriah Faber coming in, the California middle-aged man, to tell us about his fighting future and to tell us about this movie he has helped produce called Green Rush, streaming April 14th. I checked it out. It's a badass little flick there. Andre Touchy Feely, a big part of that cast. So we'll get into that and much more. And to join me on this show today. Yes, we got him back. He's an earthquake survivor. He's got abs over 40. He may or may not fight again. He may fight somebody in the grocery store over the last loaf of bread. It's sugar, Rashad Evans. Bro, how you holding up? I'm good, man. Listen, this quarantine madness, it won't get to me, BC. It will not break me. Not today. I love it. Very Dana White of you right there. And we have also Brandon (laughs) Wise, CBS Sports editor, writer, uh, New grill owner, you went charcoal, bro, to 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 win the mental health war during this quarantine. How are you doing in your new Connecticut home? Living it up, BC. You know, as we've kept saying, like life didn't change for you and I very much. It's more for people like Rashad who who travel the world and are going to these like exotic locations a lot. But for you and me, this is life as normal. I got myself a grill. I grilled up some burgers yesterday. I got ribs on the on the menu tonight. It's going to be a great night. Uh, all right. I mean, look, the lack of showering is pretty consistent and on brand to me. But I will that's, say that's for you, not me. Not I will me. say cabin fever is a kick to the to the back end here. Um, every day I feel like I'm telling my wife I got to get away. I got to go drive somewhere, and then she yells at me because you're not allowed to cross state borders, and you know you can catch something. I guess I don't know. It's just life's weird, right? It's unprecedented. We're going to navigate this together. Uh, please, if you like this show. If it's giving you a respite in life, please hit us up on that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, wherever, folks, you can find, find audio. Uh, we got a lot to get into here, and we're really going to deep dive the whole idea of putting on fights in this corona season. 
whether we should, all of that wild and wacky stuff. I wanted to check in quick, though, with Rashad Evans. Um, last week, Brandon Wise and I, we, we, go, we, we went elbow deep on this phenomenon right now that is Netflix's Tiger King documentary. Mm. And uh, our super producer, Mikey Mormile, is telling me, you may have gotten in. You may have gotten inside on this. What do you know here? You've been. You are you one of Joe, uh, Joe Exotic's uh, husbands who actually aren't gay? What's happening here? <laughs> no, no, no. One of my good friends actually, who was in the tiger business and has like uh, like at least fifty big cats in uh, mid Florida. He knows those guys, and he was talking to me about you know his dealings with them and just um, you know overall like like how this Netflix show is impacting the industry and not in a positive way, Ooh. just because of the fact that they're bringing a lot of um, just a lot of uh, attention and just a lot of just foolishness to the whole thing. So it's being looked at by, uh, you know, Peter and a lot of different other uh, organizations like that. So he was talking to me about that and he's like, you know, um, he's like, you know, I, I, I would love to get a chance to speak and talk to people about, you know, what it's really about because that's not what it's about. But it was interesting. I am, that show I am, is. Uh, so here's the crazy thing. Like that's yeah, you're right. I don't want to cut you off. That show is like a drug. I, like I actually believe Rashad that <laughs> watching yeah. that show start to finish is like doing shrooms for the first time. It's like yeah. it's like it's wild. And sometimes you don't want to be there. Other times you're like, I need more. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it was like, man. I like I, I didn't want to. Uh, I was like, man, this is gonna be stupid. And I started watching it, and before I knew it, I was totally swept away. And next thing you know. I'm into the storyline so much, man. I can't stop watching the episodes, man. So, yeah, it, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a whirlwind that you get caught up in and don't even realize it's happening. I have to credit Brandon Wise for forcing this drug on me. I'm at the point now where I, I might need to grab Rashad, a toad, and we may <laughs> go need to visit Joe Exotic in jail just to get a deeper dive on this. Brandon, I'm almost enjoying this spinoff content post tiger king doc more than i am the actual one i just watched an hour and a half interview with doc antler where he's saying no i don't have nine wives what's going on here why do you keep calling him doc antler because it's, it's, it's antle it's i mean does it matter in the end i mean it's uh it's bhagavan that's sorry, what his name sorry. is bhagavan yes uh, but yeah as i'm listening to the to the wondery podcast now and that one is giving you even more of an inside look at how crazy these people are and how much lying Joe did to get to where he was. And yeah, as, as long as you don't call the story overrated, Brian, I think we're going to be anyone okay. who calls it overrated. It's just a, it's just a bag of balls at this point. Um, I will say, I mean, I'm, come on. I'm not impressed by your performance. Exactly. I mean, look, if you watch this show and somehow doesn't enjoy it, like just yeah, get him. Sure. I think you should shut, shut up. You're embarrassing yourself right now. Are, are you still drunk right now? Are exactly. You Thank you, George. A. Uh, just to close on this, I will say this though. Every, even though I'm enjoying the post content, every interview is kind of exposing the salacious nature of how this documentary was edited together. And like now they're saying that that dude with two teeth, Joe, one of Joe's husbands, uh, actually always has a full grill. But the producers made him take it out and they made him take his shirt off to expose all the tattoos. Now I feel like I'm finding out that Santa Claus isn't real. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, you know how it is, though, man. With all these little, you know, reality shows, there's always a little bit of the the the, the um the sensationalism in it. But it, it's, it's part of the, it's part of it, you know. I think those guys, though, nevertheless, no matter how they package the story, those guys are real characters for real. Like you can't make up yes. Joe. Like you can't make that up. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, wanted to let you know that a lot of State of Combat 
po- uh, podcast available for your ear holes. A lot of time fillers here during this wild, unprecedented time. We did a deep dive in all action review last week on Steven Seagal's 1990 classic, Marked for Death. We got a chat this week on the boxing show with 88-year-old Bob Arum. Who shot JFK? Bob might know. You got to check that out. He hammers out Dana White for his latest decisions. He also gives us a deeper dive on that 1976 orgy he claims he had in the Philippines with Muhammad Ali. You're not going to want to miss that breakdown. Also, another bonus pod coming your way that we've pre-recorded. Rashad, you and I went deep on your appearance performance at the Ultimate Fighter Season 2. I'm fired up to let the people hear that. Yeah, me too, man. It's been a long time, and when you started talking about it, man, I, I just went down memory lane. My eyes start watering and everything, man. <laughs> Good stuff. Check it out this week on the State of Combat pod. We got a lot of news. We finally got some real mixed martial arts news to talk about. On the other side, we'll hit you after a quick break and a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. All right, we're back. BC, B-dubs, Sugar Rashad in the house. Uriah Faber still to come on this show. But, fellas, let's not bury any more leads. UFC 249 still scheduled for April 18th. Dana says the show must go on. We know it won't be in Brooklyn. That's about all we know. Habib Nurmagomedov did come out this week and basically say with the travel sanctions in Russia, He's more than likely not going to be able to leave, and he was under the impression all along that it was going to be in Abu Dhabi. That's why he came back to Dagestan. It's wild, it's wacky, Rashad, and connected with this is the Dana White element, where he is just steadfastly refusing to take a loss here, no matter what it takes. Reports coming out that Justin Gaethje could replace Habib, um, should they, could they, would they, Rashad, what's going on here? I mean, I think as Dana just trying to make it, uh, you know, make it something that the world, uh, because we're, we're in a place where we've never been in this world and everybody knows that and, and it's bringing out a lot of different tensions and, and people don't know what's going to happen. So with all of this, un, you know, this, 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 this thing that's happening here, we need to find something. We need to f- feel something that's normal. And I think that's what Dana White is trying to, you know, really push more than anything. He's trying to get people to feel something that's normal. And, and through feeling something that's normal, that's where the healing is. You know, that's where people can kind of, you know, take a moment to, to take a deep breath and be like, you know what? We don't know what's going to happen, but things are going to be okay because we see something that, that, uh, that gives indication, you know, something that's normal. And I think that, Fighting could be that. So I like how Dana White is pressing ahead with that and trying to make sure that, you know, um, you know, people are able to see these fights. But more importantly, you know, to his fighters, the guys who are not able to fight and compete and, and make money, you know, uh, I think that, you know, it, it goes to show, you know, what he does for his fighters, because w- without fighting, these fighters are just sitting at home and they don't have anything much like everyone else. But uh, I um I'm for Dana's decision to try to get these fighters. Okay, that's fight. interesting. And I like your honest and refreshing perspective because all we've seen is the media reaction. I'm part of that media. Dana hates that media. If you've listened to any of his recent interviews, including his spot just yesterday on the Frank Warren boxing podcast in which he did a deep dive on that as well. Um, you, you paint an interesting picture of the idea that the fighters, we know the reality. They're not going to get paid if they don't fight. Uh, they're going through the same boredom and cabin fever we all are. But 
from a from your point of view as an ex fighter, as a current fighter, if you will, Rashad, are we going overboard in calling Dana reckless in Bob Arum coming on this show yesterday and saying, you know, uh, they should be ashamed of themselves when every government, country, state, local law is basically trying to stop this from happening. Are they putting employees at at risk, the fighters at risk? Is it worth it to go to this length to pull off a card, even if the fight you spent five years building may not be able to happen with Tony and Habib? Well, here's 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 the reality of the situation. If we're looking at you know what the virus is and, and what it actually does to the body, you know, it's not like it's a virus where you catch it and you're going to die. The mortality rate is not that high on it, so you're not going to die if you catch it. So even if the fighters do want to push ahead and they do catch it or whatnot, they're not they're not they're not going to die or whatnot. And and being the fact that they're not being in a position where there's mass amount of people, they're not going to be spreading it either, you know, except for with the other combatant if they decide to to fight. So it's not like it's going to be spreading anymore because these guys are fighting a fight in a uh, in a closed location with no one around, um, but the people who are authorized to be there. So I I I I think that on that aspect, you know, you can fight and you can make it safe. I think what what it comes down to is how are these you know athletes feeling you know, about about putting themselves on a line or putting themselves in risk, quote unquote, on risk to do the fights. I think for the most part, if you have a good immune system and your body's feeling good for the most part and you're you're healthy, I don't think that you're going to be in a position where the virus is going to cause upper respiratory problems that we see with the victims that are succumbing to this. So there there's a lot to be said as far as um why it's not going and why the powers that be are put, making it not go. But I don't believe that on a medical basis for the healthy fighter, it's a hazard. That's an interesting take right there. Uh, it could be a controversial one, depending on your stance. And obviously this crosses into political beliefs and elements. I watched the news this morning. It got me freaked out again, seeing some of the realities in some of these cities. Brandon Wise, I want to bring in you here and get your thought my stance on Dana is this. I, I'm feeling it's becoming more of a stubborn sort of I can't take a loss play than it is uh, a financial thing or whatever. I'm not really sure. I don't know the inside details. I'm just speculating here. But I would feel a lot better if, let's say, Las Vegas allowed the Apex to be the home right now. You could put fighters in the PI. You could almost you know, put them in their teams there like it's a resort or a hotel or a biodome. The fact that we don't even have a location. The fact that we're just trying to grab anyone available to fill out such an important show. Those are the elements where I'm pointing the finger at Dana. I don't feel like it's worth it from my basement in the suburbs. Where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at, too, is like as I'm sitting in my basement listening to military helicopters circle over my head. It's it's kind of scary right now. Um, I don't know. Like there to me, the thing is like. There is no right way to do this because no matter what, you're going to piss off somebody. And the way that Dana has gone about it, I understand it. I, I understand why fighters want to do it. I understand why fighters are saying they t- they're taking they're, they're willing to take the risk to do it because, like you said, it's money and food on the table for them. But to me, this is like a situation where this is this is where we should get a union involved or at least say, at least have Dana step up and be like, Hey, you know what? 
if we're not going to have events for a few a few weeks or a month or two, maybe I should be giving these guys like a stipend or something just so they can live, just so they can they, they can survive for the next two months without fighting and without training camps and without going to, to the gym every day. To me, that's like the bigger overarching thing here is that it feels like Dana has turned a blind eye to all of that because like Rashad, Hard Knocks is closed right now. How are those guys even training? How, like, if if you called up um, Gilbert Burns to go fight right now, how is, are we sure that he's still going to be in shape from his fight in Brasilia a few weeks ago? Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's it's tough because you can't go and train, and then when you um, are training on your own, it's not the training that you're used to because you can't train train the partners, you can't train with your coaches. So, you know, you're not getting a quality training. And do you want to take a fight against another, you know, athlete if you're not? train on the level i do get that i just feel as if like i feel where dana white's coming and, and i feel like you know a lot of this is 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 dana white you know uh just just trying to to bring some normalcy to the to the world and i feel like that's what was champion on this cause for him i feel as if like you know he understands the importance and he understands the fact that a lot of people are are going out of their minds right now just because they can't feel something that's normal and they don't know if anything that was normal is ever going to return again. So the importance of of just a fight has now, you know, gained critical importance because it's what it symbolizes. And what it symbolizes is is what, you know, things could be going back to how they used to be. Things can be normal again. And I think that's what the fight truly is about. Um, there's a there's obviously an argument to make here against Dana of the whole safety issue. But, you know, look, fighters take chances by nature. Fighters have the soldier mentality. If they could get, honestly, you know, a certain amount of like, like, let's say, for example, Dana's like, look, I know what's going on, but I still got to give you entertainment. And this fight needs to happen, Habib and Tony. So it's a one fight card. We're going to do it on ESPN for the people for free. And it's Tony and it's Habib and it's on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean or a rooftop in Dubai or wherever wacky stuff. And it's just them, their three corner man, a commission member, a referee, and then we'll replay Connor's greatest hits afterwards. <laughs> I feel a little bit better. I'd say, okay, this select few people, they're, they're, they know the risks. They got tests. They're all getting in Dana's private airplane. We always hear Dana say, hey, hang with me. You'll get the best medical care ever. That's one thing. But separate from the legitimate concern for the virus and and the, and the, the death factor, I'm mad at Dana Rashad. I'm legitimately mad that he would take a matchup like Tony Habib and potentially bastardize it by just, and we don't know if the reports are true. We're only hearing little there and just be like, oh, Habib can't make it. Justin Gagey, you're in. No, bro. Okay, Tony First is 36. The window's small. Wait this shit out, okay? Wait till after Ramadan. Tony deserves Habib. We deserve them both. Would Gagey and Tony bang? Yes. But that doesn't make it right. Why would you throw away this, this story arc in this timeline? Why? I feel you. I feel you. But here's the reality of the situation. There's no way that this this matchup is probably going to happen because because the truth of the matter is, even if they do say, you know, what, we're going to postpone it. What, what if what if it goes longer than 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 what we think? What if it goes a year? You know what I'm saying? There's no there's no telling when this could could end. 
So at this point, I think he better jump on whatever he can. If there's a possibility for him to even get one more in there, he better jump on as as, as soon as he can. Right. You know, because if they say, you know what, all right, we're going to give you one more, and we don't know when the next one's going to be, then he better take it. <laughs> you know, he better take it. Brandon, you know I love conspiracy theories. You know I love the wild and wackiness. You know I love Tiger King. Um, I'm going to pitch you three <laughs> quick conspiracies and just tell me yay or nay. Maybe not yay that they're true, but that they could be true. Conspiracy theory number one. Tony Habib is friggin' cursed. The gods don't want it, and they're going to drop a damn virus to make sure we never see this fight. I mean, it's cursed, but that's not a conspiracy theory. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, conspiracy. No, I, think, I think you missed the conspiracy, the conspiracy part was they dropped the virus. Oh, okay. oh uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. That was yeah. a conspiracy part. Yeah, the gods dropped the virus <laughs> to uh, the MMA gods. Okay, okay. Yes, Mother Nature. Yeah, whatever. Okay, number two. Dana knows the financial value of Habib Connor 2 so damn well and knows the danger for Habib against Tony so damn well that he sent Habib back to Russia knowing the sanctions that were coming so he could set up Justin Gaethje against Tony so that Tony could be knocked out of the title picture so that we could get Habib and Connor after Ramadan. You are out of your mind. I didn't say I believe I... it. I'm <laughs> pitching you conspiracies. So yeah. you're saying that I mean... you're saying that he sent Habib back to Russia basically to protect him and to protect the future value of Habib versus Connor yes, too. Cause it's the Ali Frazier of MMA. Dana says it's going to break every may pack may Mac record possible. I'm not saying I believe it. Once again, I'm giving you the chance to say yay or nay to that. I see. You see, I think he, I think he took it a step further. I think he called the president himself and made it sure that he shut down the border. So no one was able to come back in. All right. Final conspiracy theory. Number three, our boy Ali Abdelaziz, who also represents Justin Gagey and has tried to create scenarios in the past in which said Habib will never fight Connor unless he fights Connor fights Justin first. Did Habib, did Ali tell Habib to go back to Russia so he'll get stranded so that his own man, Justin, could get in there first against Tony so that he can eventually set up an in-house Justin Gagey Habib fight where Ali gets all the money? Your thoughts, Brandon? I mean, I'm going to pass that to Rashad. <laughs> when Anderson Silva walks into Wait, a room, whoa, you whoa, 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 the sound that sounds like up. an inside source. Hold on. <laughs> um, that might be I the most plausible. I do not believe that. No, I don't believe that. That, that, that was, a, that was actually the, the, one of the best conspiracies that you came oh, up with, though. You that was me? the most believable out of conspiracy. You see, you want me to give you my conspiracy? Yes. What, that Houston Alexander took money not to, to fight hard against Kimbo? I believe that one, too. What do you got for me? <laughs> I gave BC this theory like a couple days ago that after the news came out about Habib, I feel like this entire two weeks or three weeks of, of Dana just absolutely bashing the media, calling everybody every name in the book, saying, we're going to do this no matter what. You can't stop me, basically. What if he never actually intended on making these fights happen? Wow. What if this was just mm -hmm. to keep the UFC and him in the media, in the mainstream media, and talking about the UFC while this is all happening instead of focusing on the fact that we're not able to fight right now? That's and basically being able to play... Shit. Basically being able to play fantasy matchmaker every time he talks into a microphone. 
That is genius. That would be absolutely genius, B.Y. <laughs> I, you know what? I think that theory might be it. That that's, is, a good, that's a great theory. That's straight from the, the Floyd playbook. What do I mean by that? Mayweather was retired at one point, yet it was in the number one news stories every day in MMA and boxing. You say something else, I'll whoop your ass in the octagon, bitch. No, you won't. You'll never do that, but you'll keep saying it. That's an interesting conspiracy theory as well. Wow. A lot of Dang. layers to this. Uh, final thought on Dana. It's one thing to say, I'm going to keep doing, oh, I'm going to make this fight happen no matter what. It's another thing to say, I know the site, which he did tell on that Frank Warren podcast, but I'm not going to tell the media because I don't trust them and they'll try to, they'll try to get, take it away from me. But when Dana says the things he said in that Kevin Ioli Instagram thing on Yahoo, when he was basically like, look, we're all going to die of something, cancer or heart failure or whatever. So, uh, if I got to go because of Corona, Bring it on. In fact, Corona, come get me. When you're like, Rashad, what is next? You're going to get in front of a mirror and yell, uh, and, uh, and yell, I mean, come up, yell the boogeyman three times in a row. Like, that's a little reckless to me. Like, hey, Corona, come get some of this. All right. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But you know what? I think he's just speaking to the fact that he's just not giving in to, to the hysteria. That's what it is. He's just not giving in to the hysteria. He's not afraid of it. He's not afraid of, uh, of what they're saying about it. And um, a lot of people are in, in that camp. You know, a lot of people are in that camp. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's one it's one heck of a statement to make, I'll tell you that. This is number one bullshit. Uh, there was a report from a Russian website. We don't know the accuracy as time that we record this, that maybe Russia will allow private planes in, and that could bring Dana, Tony, and Octagon. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's wild. Um, Dude. Russia shut down their borders. Like, I don't know how Russia. All I know is I live like 20 miles from the Massachusetts border, and Massachusetts has a new rule that if you cross the border, you must be 14 days in seclusion before you before you. Uh, it's why it's unprecedented. It's wild. As things sta- final verdict here, guys. These, as things stand yeah. right now, whether it's Rose uh, Andrade in the main event, which is which is on that 249 card, and they're both say they're ready. Or whether it's whoever, whether it's Butterbean, I don't know. Whether Tito Ortiz might get a fight at this point. Will we see a fight card on ESPN Plus pay-per-view on April 18th? Rashad, what do you say? No. No way. Ooh. I think it um, – I would love to see one, but I think that uh, the implications of what it would mean is too much. And I think it, it was – It's uh, there's already been too much about – why it shouldn't happen, so I don't think it's going to happen. Rando? I I am shocked by that take. Um I I agree. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I still think we're gonna hear from Dana every day for the next eighteen <laughs> days until it does happen until it's supposed to happen. I, I kinda believe he's gonna make something happen, but maybe you guys are right. Maybe this is just another way to blame the media. Uh I don't know. It's just Well the only the the only theory I thought that actually made sense was if you take Tony Habib out of the picture completely and then you put in Kamaru versus Jorge and you do it in Florida on the Indian reservation in Hollywood, Florida. Native American, Peter, Brandon. Native, please, can you step up to PC in 2020? What are you going to call them, broads next? You know what I mean? I hate you so much. <laughs> um, you do that because then neither of them has to travel. But again, neither of those guys are able to train right now and haven't been in camp for a fight. So. 
I don't know if the lack right. of training would mean a train wreck in the cage. Would it be more exciting because there's no stamina? I don't know. Would I be excited for Tony against Justin? Of course, but not in these circumstances. I don't know, man. We don't know. There's it's unprecedented. We got to roll on. We got to move on here. Uh, the big news, man, that that's kind of got swallowed up by this 249 news is the unfortunate situations last Thursday. John Jones, a UFC light heavyweight champion, uh, arrested for aggravated DWI, uh, also arrested for a firearm charge, open container. I mean, there's a lot of things on there. As of press time now, last night, TMZ reporting that he has taken a plea deal to accept being guilty for the DUI charge. The other charges have been dropped. John will not receive jail time. He'll have the equivalent of house arrest for, uh, what is it? I, I forgot the specifics off the top of my head. There's there's elements of uh, one year probation. He can still get high with a medical card, but um, wow, wow, wow! A uh, press release from John's uh, PR person has John being apologetic again and needing to go figure out why this disease is still following him. Rashad, you've been friends, foes, partners, opponents, enemies. Uh, you know his family. You know this man. Are we at a point where we should stop doing the this reckless guy brings it on himself and maybe focus a little more on how do we help this guy? How do we fix this guy? What the hell's really going on here? Yeah, I think so. I think that we're at the point where we need to start to uh, get him to to really um, be accountable for his actions in a different kind of way and, and not just saying to hold the mirror in front of him and being like, oh, you know, you did this and you need to admit that you did wrong. I'm talking about accountability where he goes and he receives the help that he needs to get in order to, you know, be the person that he can be. You know, I think that, you know, being in the position that he's in and, and being, you know, uh, it, it does come with pressures. But at the end of the day, you know, no one is exempt from from just simple rules that we all got to follow in society. And, um, you know, the time, the timing of it all was such a terrible thing because, you know, now that we're in this this whole lockdown situation, you know, the 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 rights and, and, and the, the whole constitutional process have been impeded by this whole lockdown process. So now what that says, it kind of throws him in a different kind of category when it comes to the law enforcement dealing with with his actions that that happen. So now he doesn't even know from a from a, um, a, a legal standpoint what's going to happen with him because of when he violated and, and what, you know, Albuquerque may do to, to hold him liable for, for messing up at the time that he did. So there's a lot that can be coming with this whole situation, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it's just time for John to uh, take that, you know, take some self-reflection and really start to do the things he needed to do to heal because right now there's tolerance for him because he can still offer entertainment, but when people stop caring about him beating people up, then, you know, his, his actions are going to be what they truly are, which is a nuisance in society. Um, that's well said. And you're right about the entertainment. I've always been surprised what through all his transgressions, whether it be multiple failed drug tests. Uh, he's previously had a DUI in 2012. Of course, there's the 2015 felony hit and run. Uh, he's been stripped of, of a portion of the title three times. Every time he gets back in that cage, Rashad, the crowd goes nuts. Uh, there's a respect and a love for his ability, even if he's playing the public villain at times. I'm just wondering, um, you know, 
what's really going on deep inside because you're watching a guy who's, you know, kind of had it all and is constantly threatening giving that away. You know, you can't, I'm no doctor, I'm no psychologist, but I'm wondering, you know, if there's a deeper mental health element in here. There's something that is uh, stopping him from being able to to get scared enough with these transgressions to realize that uh, maximizing his career, maximizing his ability as a father, husband, and, and citizen is most important here. And again, like, I'm not, I, I feel more for him than I'm, you know, mad at him from a distance. And I don't say lightly the danger that he put other people in by driving while drunk. The engine was running. There's a loaded gun under his seat. There's an open container, oddly enough, of Jorge Masvidal's new liquor line. There's a spent bullet casing outside of his car that he, I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff there. But um, I feel bad that there's some deeper, darker stuff in him. That um, for his own well-being, again, you know, I'd rather see that fixed than see him back in a cage again or than to do any kind of faux lock this guy up and throw away the key stuff. Because uh, I like John. I mean, look, we've all been through it with John in, in, from a distance or as journalists or as opponents and friends. You, you, you don't want to see this happen. And man, Rashad, um, I, I, we can't fix it. He's got to want to fix it. I just hope this is the rock bottom. Yeah, and, and me too, man, because at the end of the day, it's like at some point you, you have to stop. You, you have to get tired of bumping your head. And, and I think that he has to be that to that point. And you kind of seen it in the video um, of uh, the surveillance video when he's he's doing the uh, sobriety test. You just kind of hear it in his voice, just like he knows he messed up and he knows that, you know, once again, he's going to be the talk and, and he, he knows he messed up. And you can just hear the how defeated he sounds in that moment where he's just like, man, I just can't seem to stay out of my own way. And, um, you know, it, it's it's up to the people that's around him, you know, his his his, his caring circle that that don't mind if he gets mad at him to be like, listen, bro, you're an awesome fighter. You may be the best to ever do it, but whatever you were it is not is not is not, it's not going to be anything. You're you're going to ruin it because people can never get past how you were as a person, you know, and, and I think that's what he's facing right now. You know, I don't, I don't want to see him, uh, I don't want to see him go through this because I have, I have, I think that he, he's one of the greatest fighters who ever do it. And it would be such a tremendous waste and, uh, and skill and, and just, and just a career if he doesn't get things together because, you know, he has the money and he has the attention right now to get the results that he has right now with his actions. But life changes real fast, and it doesn't take a lot to lose a fortune, and it doesn't take a lot to lose support. And with you know, when you have habits like this, you can be out on the street real fast. Rashad, do you think it would take a camp change or him just getting out of Albuquerque in general to fix this? Because it feels like every time that we see him getting arrested or getting in trouble like this, it's always when he's home in New Mexico and he's stuck without something to do or something to keep occupying his time. So do you think that it's part of that? Because, I I mean, I don't even know where you would send him at this point to do another camp change. Nah, he can go anywhere in the world, but at the end of the day, it's it's on him. It's something in him. There's something in him that he's not, um, he's not okay with, and there's something in him that he needs to find a way to to, and something needs to be numb to the point where 
he doesn't care what what it may what may cost at the time where he's 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 doing these actions and he almost he almost does it like he does his you know his his uh risky technique in a cage you know he'll try it and whatever happens happens you know but then when it doesn't work out you see him like dang you know it normally does work out and normally i don't have to pay the consequences you know i call john teflon john for run reason you know he just nothing ever seems to stick to him you know he just always finds a way to get out but i always said at some point something's gonna stick and when it does finally stick it's gonna hurt you're you're not wrong on that i mean look at the look at the brushes with usada and in the lengths that they've gone to to you know get him back fighting uh, which have been controversial. Look at the close calls. He didn't train for that first Gustafson fight. It was that great war. Look at the last two decisions, close calls. He was luckily for him able to come away with that belt. Um, I think there's warning signs in the past. Each, each of his, uh, sort of drug re- regressions in terms of recreational drugs, we'd seen him go public and say, well, you know, I still like to go out. I still drink with my boy, you know, but like you can't be out at nightclubs if you want to avoid this, you know, and you can't be, uh, you know, driving drunk with a loaded weapon right now during this and and you know maybe some of it is is this the realities of this unprecedented coronavirus where i think a lot of us sitting at home are like man i don't i don't feel like myself right now uh i'm not allowed to leave the house this story this specific arrest had some shady elements you know him the 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 body cam camera was just tough to watch uh he's talking about homeless people i mean it was wild brandon what do you got but it's but the but again like even as he's saying, like getting arrested for all of this, he posted his own thing on on Twitter and Instagram five days earlier, saying, "This is the first time in human history we have the chance to stay home and do nothing and be like uh, champions or something. Like, do your part to do it." And then he goes out and does this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brandon. Do you- yeah, and that's and and and, that, and that's exactly it, though. It's such a um. That's what people are getting tired of with the whole John Jones thing. It's making statements like that, but then you find out that he's doing other things, you know, and it just it just gets so tiresome to the point where it's just like, dude, you can't like just stop talking. You know what I'm saying? Because even when he does start to, you know, regain um, that thing that he has back, it gets hard to listen to him because you never know when the other boot is going to drop. Like you like like something like this, you know, you, you he's one day he's talking about we all need to stay in, inside and do our part to to flatten the curve. And then next, thing you know, he's out <laughs> doing things that we wouldn't even dream of. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the UFC's reaction will be, what their role will be. I, I think it goes deeper than paying to send him to rehab or something like that. I, I'm wondering if look, he's been stripped of a title three times. For disciplinary reasons, I wonder if it is it worth it. I mean, is it is it not worth it? Is it uh, does this situation call for that again? Does it call for a one year suspension from his employer that essentially forces him to 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 face what he what he's really facing deep inside? Because I'm almost at the point where like just sending him to to rehab for a couple months and then booking a fight, you know, this fall. I don't know if that's the right answer. It doesn't feel like the right answer. Shouldn't should there be a deeper disciplinary action from his employer at this point? Because if this were us in our jobs as media members or insurance salesmen or Amazon truck drivers, we probably would have lost our job here. I don't know what it's going to be from the employers, but I guarantee that whatever comes down on them, they're going to pass that buck, you know, and especially now that they're 
in a position where they're trying to get a fight and they're maybe feeling some kind of criticism and things like that. Now, everything UFC may be looked at with uh, with more scrutiny. And John just raised his hand to be looked at with more scrutiny with this incident um, before where this kind of would have went and kind of like let the UFC handle it and without having too many other outside opinions. Now, because of the spotlight that the UFC's in because they're trying to do this fight, and with this whole situation with John Jones, it could it could kind of be like, well, you know, how are they going to handle the situation with John Jones? And they're going to get any pressure put on, you know, what if what if someone writes an article like, oh, well, you know, they don't even handle their athletes right. You know what I'm saying? There's there's so many things that they could that could happen now that they're in the spotlight and John Jones have done something like this to bring attention in a negative way. And the gross part is like, even if you cut him, Bellator is going to sign him the next day. Yeah, I wouldn't cut him. I would suspend him. I think you do have to set that sort of precedent. I know the NFL is different. There's a players union and all that. But you'd feel like if a prominent player had a a second brush with DWI, a, a you know fourth or fifth major brush with the uh, with the law or drug test violations, that they would essentially be uh, sit down for a while. I think you'd be aided by the fact that we're probably not going to see big time fights anyway for you know the first half of this year at the very least. Although. We just started the show with 35 minutes on Dana trying to get us fights for basically next week. But you get my point. I would like to see John forced into whatever needs to happen here. Uh, wow. Tough case scenario altogether here. Uh, those are your latest headlines this week. Now we got the Hall of Famer, Uriah Faber, coming at us. Now, fellas, I want to tell you, Redbox Streaming Services, April 14th. This man has produced a movie called Green Rush. Brandon, did you watch that uh, that screener link I gave you yet? Uh, I did not. Uh, I'm sorry. I did not make time to watch Uriah Faber's, uh, not directorial debut, right? Producer debut. He did, he was. Debut. I think he financially backed the movie. He had a, a hand in who was in it and helped make it. There's a lot of uh, MMA connections to this movie, but I'll say it like this. You get an opportunity to, to see a link of a movie that, you know, some MMA fighter produced and put his name on and threw money in, and it's a small production. You're gonna you're gonna have the reaction I did. All right, I'll watch this. Let's see how bad this could be. Ten minutes in, I'm like, oh wow, Touchy Feely's in it. That's kind of cool. But man, this is this is what I expected. This this is a. Uh, I gotta tell you, this thing turned. The second half of this film is friggin' wild. It's wild. It's about uh, the cannabis industry. Uh, there's there's some violent dark twists and turns there's kidnapping there's sex there's if you guys get a chance to check this thing out when it launches after april 14th it's a fun piece of business if you like action movies if you like violence you're gonna like this we're gonna talk about it right now with mr faber also what his fighting future may be at age 40 it's uriah faber coming at you enjoy uriah faber my man how you doing what's up Doing great, man. How are you? Doing great. The Hall of Famer, he's back, but in a much different way. I got to give you props here, Uriah Faber. Stepping out into the film industry, producing this new arrival called Green Rush that viewers, listeners can get on digital, on demand, 14th from Lionsgate. I'm within about five minutes from finishing this, Uriah Faber. I'm up to the border on this white knuckle thriller just before talking to you. Uh, this is a pretty badass flick, dude. I'm not gonna, I, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see the swerves. I didn't see the white knuckle magic that I saw coming. 
but this was fun <laughs> to sit down and take in. Uh, tell me about this new venture for you. Yeah, so I've actually been working on the movie industry, learning the business and putting together a team for, uh, you know, probably around seven years and, you know, getting intellectual property rights to, to the films and different concepts, et cetera. And this, this one in particular, we took our team that was pretty established and threw this thing together. We got the, the, the true story that it's based on, you know, inspired by. We had, uh, you know, raised the funds very quickly, wrote the script and filmed the whole thing in 10 days, which is incredible if you know the movie industry. Uh, and this thing is, is intense. It's kind of a slow burn. It, it starts out, you know, establishing the plot a little bit. You start to get the, the pieces and then it gets, and then it gets crazy and wild quick. And there, like you said, there's some nice twists and turns in it, and, and uh, it makes for a movie that you could definitely go back and watch a second time and pick up a bunch of things that you didn't see the first time. So I, I love that about this movie. Yeah, it's labeled as an intense and gritty heist film about the cannabis industry, but uh, you mentioned it slow to start, and I'm like, all right, what's this film going to be like? What's Uriah Faber putting his name on? And then, like I mentioned, you know, anyone's a fan of action movies or, or or just you know intense dramas that that aren't afraid to go places. This one certainly would be worth your time. Uh, when you're in the midst of this project, and it says presented by Uriah Faber to start off the movie, little bit of pressure to make sure this fits your personal brand. What was your exact involvement during the filming and, and in the creative process of this? You know, creatively, it wasn't much. You know, as as a producer, um, it's been more of putting the pieces together. So uh, the the way it fits my brand is is I'm a businessman. I'm not a big marijuana guy per se. I'm not like a a, a guy that uses marijuana on a regular basis. Uh, I do do some CBD, absolutely, and and I'm not I'm not against it. You know, I, I may uh, partake on occasion, you know, every year or so, but. Uh, this is more for me about creating art and creating uh, something that that we can be proud of. And, and if, if you really knew the details of, of what we, you know, the process of, of putting this thing together and what we were able to accomplish with the resources that we had, uh, you'd be shocked. And, and we're pretty proud of, of what we were able to do. And uh, my, my partner in Faberox Films, Jared Roxburg, he did an amazing job of, of getting his vision out. Uh, but it was his vision more, and, and uh, uh, Rick Lee, who who is the the head producer on this thing, uh, he he's the one that that came up with the concept right off the bat and brought our team together. Um, you know, they all worked really well together. Even even Ticker, the 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 main bad guy in there, the intense dude, he's one of the writers on the movie, so he got to write his own his own lines. And a lot of the actors involved, it's a cl- close knit group of people, including Andre Touchy Feely, who's one of my fighters and the, and the roles a lot of times were written specifically for them. So um, it, it was a fun process. Well, I got, you mentioned Paul Telfer who plays the, the lead sort of heel villain in there and uh, giving away no spoilers here, but this guy's an absolute psychopath. People may know him in the, you know, from more mainstream projects like the days of our lives, but he comes in here as writer, actor, co-producer. You're right. He might be the MVP of this thing. I gotta, I gotta see more of this guy. Uh, He kind of jumps through the screen (laughs) with his, with his sadisticness. You know what? I, I, uh, I have a, a good friend, Brad Payton, who's the, 
the producer of the movie that <clears throat> that I was in Rampage with The Rock, and he came over to my house and watched the film, and 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 Paul really stole, stood out to him too. He said, "But wow, man, like that villain is a villain that that you have to be, you know, keep your eye on him, and and he does a really good job of of making things uncomfortable, as you know, since you've watched the movie, but." Um, yeah, he, he really did a great job, man. He's a talented guy, and, and uh, we're lucky to have him on, on the team. I mean, look, I'm a big fan of, of the classics, the uh, the Seagals, the Schwarzeneggers, that level of action movie. I love the action in this. Are you one of those old school, whether your guy's Van Damme or Stallone, are you one of those old school action flick lovers? Oh, big time, man. I mean, and I've actually had Van Damme over at my house sitting on my couch drinking a beer. Uh which is super surreal to me and, and, you know, had interactions with, with guys like Mike Tyson and, and, you know, the, the, I've met Steven Seagal. And, and so, uh, having, having this come full circle and, and even being a, being a guy that could possibly put some of these of my, some of these legends that, that, uh, that I grew up watching into movies is, is something that's exciting for me. But yeah, I was definitely, a you know, blood sport was my movie uh under siege you know kickboxer all the bruce lee movies chuck norris anybody in that room wow wow uh you mentioned andre touchy feely we know him from from ufc and the fighting side uh he does stand out as making a a heck of a transition into the into the movie industry there always had a great look we knew that uh but he seemed to take to this pretty quickly how impressed were you with his performance you know, Andre's a guy that I've been able to mentor. He's been with me since he was a, since he was a kid, since he was on house arrest, came into the gym with, you know, ankle shackles and, and a missing tooth and a head tattoo. But he's a super intelligent guy and a, and a super talented guy, and he really believes in himself in a bunch of different realms. And when he told me years ago, I was actually working on a, a film that didn't get made called Beach Pizza with Craig Robinson. Um and he was like, hey, man, I just to let you know, I really want to get into acting. This is probably, this is when I was filming The Ultimate Fighter with Conor McGregor. I don't know what year that was, but uh, he's like, you know, I want to read lines with you. I want to do this. I, I, I see myself as an actor. I'm kind of a, a, a you know, a, he's really been studying it. And, and man, when, when, when I gave him an opportunity to get in there, he just knocked the door down. And I think he's got a really bright future in the acting space, aside from being a world champ eventually hopefully i love the idea of of a mentorship there but he took mentorship to the next level with that tattoo of your face on his leg was there ever any part of you that's like bro i love you but that's a little bit too far (laughs) yeah well he obviously he didn't tell me because i i do enough making fun of his tattoos as is so he didn't tell me till till way later uh that he got it done and and uh I got to say, he's got a lot dumber tattoos than that, in my opinion. Not not that he thinks of them. He loves all his tattoos. But, yeah, I was shocked. But, you know, you can't help but be honored for, for somebody that, that does a tribute to someone that they feel has, you know, been influential in their life. So, you know, it is what it is. And, 
you know, it could have used a younger version of me, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> we can't wait to see this film, Green Rush. Uh, I've seen it. I can't wait for everybody else to see it on demand April 14th from Lionsgate. Uh, Redbox, wherever you can sort of download and stream this, definitely check that out. You mentioned 10 days to film all this. Uh, can you put into words what that challenge is actually like? Uh, was there any fears that, that, that you weren't going to finish? I mean, honestly, there was, we were up against a lot of different things, including the, the farm that we were at. They had to harvest, and so we were, we were on a time crunch because of that. Like I said, Jared uh, Roxburgh is not only the, the director and, and my co-producer alongside Rick Lee and, and uh, Misha Crosby, and um, you know the list goes on of, of contributors, but really, he's an editor by trade. He, he's made his living um being a producer being a director but but really he's he's made his 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 living as a young guy as an editor and a high level editor so being able to direct and edit at the same time and know that it was on a crunch and this was his big opportunity he, you know the way he described it to me was like this was his big debut in the UFC for you know a feature film for a guy that that wants to do this for a living he was getting up 5 a.m. and working out for an hour to get his energy up to, to start the day and, and get a little bit of sleep and push through that thing. So really, he he and, and Matt Irwin, who's the, the DP, the director of photography, um, they did an amazing job. What, what's your future for, for this? You know, if this movie comes out and, and has the success that you hope it does, uh, would we ever see you in front of the camera? Is this just a part of your overall portfolio? Where's Mr. Faber going with this? Man, I, I really feel like I could be a top producer in this thing. And I, I've, I've just uh, just shook hands with, uh, with a great producer and, and an amazing director on our next project, which uh, I, I teased Conor McGregor that this, this is a film for him. I feel like it was actually written for him. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure if he has aspirations to do the acting thing, but um, big things in the future. And I absolutely, I'd like to be in front of the screen more. I've done a lot of that from, you know, some some scripted TV shows to, to some movies with pretty big name actors, even though they're small parts. And I actually have a film that is my baby called uh, Point Arena. It's my concept that, that I had written probably six, seven years ago. And I'd like to be in that one. We have a lot of projects. The next one we're working on, working on is called uh, The Manly Art of the KO. And I've already got some, some great talent attached, which, you know, this first one was a success. However, however you want to slice it, it's very rare for independent filmmakers on the budget we were on to be selling a film, uh, let alone to Lionsgate, which is a, a prestigious partner to have and, and um, you know, be off the races on the next project. So, this is an exciting thing for me. It's something that I've been working on for a long time, something I've been studying and really putting a team together. And that team, uh, you know, we're going to bring them along with, with, with the journey, just like uh, I've done with my fight team. Now, look, uh, anyone who's a pro wrestling fan knows WWE makes these sort of side films of, of different sizes, and there are these fun little action romps that give their own competitors chances to stretch their wings. You mentioned the MMA connection here from Andre Feely and beyond. I'm watching the opening credits. I'm like, oh, RJ Clifford, NBA, MMA guy, this guy, MMA guy. How important is that to you in the future projects you attach yourself 
to continue that crossover and maybe, you know, open up doors for guys who who have bright potential in another field. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I wish I would have had a me out there looking out for a 27-year-old uh, Uriah Faber because um, I would have I grabbed myself and thrown myself in a film and I would grab, you know, you know, some of these other guys throughout the throughout the years, Cody Garbrandt, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of potential talent out there. If you see some of the biggest stars, Batista, uh, you know, even Van Dam was a kickboxer, and and The Rock. I mean, these guys are, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. These are guys that have done big things in other areas, become world champions, and had charisma and had the work ethic and and uh, the people skills to to advance. So. I would love to open doors for more people in the MMA community. And, and you know, Rick Lee, who who was the producer on this uh, alongside myself, he's an MMA guy. I met him in the MMA world. I met Jared on the set of uh, The Ultimate Fighter, and he was a producer. Uh, Rocks was my partner there, and and we have uh, Andre Touchy Feely, who's who's in that mix, and and you know, uh, and the list goes on of of people, R.J. Clifford and. And a bunch of guys that have their names in doing cameos for or voice voiceovers for the newscasters are all MMA guys. So it's pretty fun to to use your network and, and build a who's who network. I talk about that in my book, not just who you meet, but uh, looking for potential in people and building something together. Hey, really cool stuff. Really cool side projects. Uh, the problem, not maybe it's not a problem, but the problem is you still got it. Inside the cage, despite being a Hall of Famer, despite being 40, <laughs> despite coming off of a, of a loss in a very important fight to Petra Jan, uh, where are you at sort of mindset-wise on, on whether you will continue fighting? Man, I, I, I get the itch to fight all the time. They, they keep offering me fights. They've set out some dates and some possible opponents. Um, look, I, I explain this to people all the time. I'm a guy that's been juggling a lot of things my entire life from being you know i was you know a, a low level child actor doing commercials and plays and that kind of stuff splitting time between divorced parents playing sports doing homework uh going to into high school i was you know student council and and captain the football and the wrestling team and and in in you know the the advanced classes and and into college i was working a job and doing homework and and playing, you know, high uh, division one wrestling and, and on and on and on. I like to stack my, my day with, with action and I can still get three to four hours of training in if I need to, uh, amidst the rest of the stuff and add father to the, to the mix. I, I'm loving that the best journey so far. So, um, you know, I'm not opposed to fighting and, and, uh, yeah, I had a fun, I had fun in my last fight despite the loss. It was a good time and it, uh, a guy was ranked number three in the world. He's he's known as the guy that's the up and comer, and and I like that challenge. So um, we'll see what they throw at me, but um, I'm never I'm never going to shy away from a, a good fight, a good opportunity, especially with this coronavirus. It's, you know, cash is king right now. It might be a good time to snag up some cash. Well, you're not wrong on that. And certainly uh, when it comes to coronavirus, a lot of us catching up on things we can stream in, in, in your new film, Green Rush, would certainly be part of that on April 14th. But uh, – from a fighter's perspective, this is just unprecedented times. We don't know how to deal with it. Dana says Tony Habib will happen no matter what. Uh, do you want to fight during these uncertain times? Do you think fighters should? How are you, what's your opinion on all of that? Absolutely. I think we should. I mean, I've, I've been 
following closely on this stuff and and um i feel like from what the experts are saying if if we were testing more people we'd find out that more people have had it than than have been uh you know noted and i would think everybody that's died has been noted so i, I feel like it's more in line with the common flu as far as the statistics go still scary it's still unknown and nobody wants to get sick especially if, if it can put you in a hard hard spot but you know folks that are are at a disadvantage with their immune systems already down the average age of death is 80 meaning there's a couple below and a couple above that as far as age goes so um i'm not scared you know as as the diaz brothers say don't be scared homie i'm going to continue to live life and and uh be taking every precaution that we that we that we need to but uh you know no fear here would that be weird to do an empty arena match? I mean, you, you're a you're an old school pioneer from '03 days, where I'm sure there wasn't sixteen thousand people at a Gladiator Challenge. But would that be weird at the highest level to be in an empty arena? Um, it would definitely be weird. I mean, if you look at the Ultimate Fighter, it was always kind of like that. Uh, I've coached three seasons of that Ultimate Fighter show, um, so it'd be similar to that. I wouldn't compare it to the early days of MMA. It was. It was wild, bonkers, people right up against the cage back in the day in 2003 when I was fighting in Indian casinos. You know, you could you could get spilled beer on you if you're if you're lucky on a, in, a, in a fight back in the day. Uh, this would definitely be a different animal, but uh, I'd be down to fight. It wouldn't be as fun, but um, I would do it. All right, you got to close and give me something with this. You mentioned you hang out with JCVD, the action legend. We've heard the story before about the accidental kick to Cody. We've already been down that road. But what's Jean-Claude like as a dude when you're having a beer with him on the couch? Sum him up for us. Man, I guess the best, uh, one word, entertaining. That's all I'll say. He's, he's very, very, very entertaining. And... uh you know, and he's an artist. That, that, those are two things. But uh, uh, <laughs> that that Cody moment was too funny. Uh, in retrospect, you know, him and Cody have become friends again after that. So it's no big deal. Excellent. Hey, what is a big deal? This film, I'm telling you, I didn't think I'd love it this much. I pop big. I hope all my listeners check it out. Green Rush is the title. April 14th, On Demand, Redbox. Check it out from Lionsgate. Uriah, Thanks so much for chatting, man, and good luck in the future in these type of projects, and I do hope we see you in that cage again. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right, special thanks to Mr. Faber right there. Uh, Rashad, he told us a great story about hanging out, having beers with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Of course, we know the story of uh, Van Damme accidentally kicking Cody Garbrandt in the face, but uh, I love that he's just randomly broing out, having beers with JCVD, and he's like, man, it's wild hanging out with that dude. Have you been able to have similar experiences with elite celebrities? We know your boys with Mike Tyson. That may be the answer, where you even pinch yourself sometimes that you're like, I'm hanging out doing whatever with this guy like where's my life right now yeah yeah that happens uh all the time not all the time but it happens quite a bit um you know last time it happened i was uh i was there when eminem and uh mike tyson met for the first time and they did a podcast yes and that was pretty epic you know because i'm watching both of them and they got so much 
tremendous respect for each other and just hearing how uh, much respect Eminem had for him and how much Mike Tyson influenced his career and stuff like that. It was it was touching to see, you know, but then it got it was like one of those things like, wow, I'm in the same space as these guys. You know, it was it was pretty cool. I like that. I like that. Uh, Hopefully you'll check out the film and Faber Brando liked his performance against your boy Peyo Trey says he wants to fight again. And actually went as far as saying, I'm not afraid of this virus. Cash is king. Let's do it. That was a little uh, a little shocking there. Against who? Like, the, who is he going to fight? Teddy Anybody? I, I'm, I'm leaving it to you to figure out, okay? I, I mean, okay. Sure. I, I will watch who? Uriah against fight. Who? Against who? Oh, against who? I love me some Uriah. Don't, 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 don't you can't do that to Uriah, Uriah now. Listen, he looked. He looked, Listen, he he had the fight against Petter was, was a bit tough, but he that guy's like that guy should be fighting for a belt right now. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, 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 I say I, this. I say you put. I say you put Uriah in there with anybody in the top eight. It's gonna be a good fight. When's T.J. Dillashaw get out of? Uh... Of EPO next jail. year, next year. How about this teacher against the student? Give me some of that. Give That's me some what of, I'm saying. Give That's me some of Uncle Uncle yeah. Mr. Faber against Killershaw. Brando, you in on that? I mean, when is Dominic Cruz going to fight again? I don't need to see Uriah Dom four. That's the direction we're <laughs> Dom is supposed to be fighting Corey Sandhagen, I think. I think so, but you know, no one's going to be fighting anybody, bro. Okay, okay. He All apparently right. agreed to fight Peyote. <laughs> uh, like earlier this year too. Peyote's like got the... Marlon Marais troubles in his future. All right, that's that's where that's at. All right, hey, let's close the show with a fun segment here. Brando, you want to take us into this here, Broski? Let's do this. So everybody's stuck at home right now. We're all in remote locations, trying to stay quarantined, trying to stay mentally sound, not lose their our minds. So when that happens. A lot of us fight fans like to go down UFC Fight Pass and relive some old memories and, and some old great fights. So with that in mind, I pose the question to both of you. I think we'll start with Rashad first. Who are your top five fighters that you go to on UFC Fight Pass to rewatch their old fights? Yeah, give us number five here because I got a, I got a great number marriage five. combination. Okay, okay. Rashad, um, five. too many beers and UFC Fight Pass go together really good. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. All and right. too much time. You can't yes. forget about the time because you need some time. <laughs> so my number five is Jose Aldo, the featherweight, the featherweight king. Listen, I love Jose Aldo, vintage Jose Aldo, where he was just nasty and mean, unapologetic, kicking people's legs off until his leg was about to come off. That's the Jose that I like to see. That's the kind of guy I like. Pause number right there. Four. Pause right there, because I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna jump in with number five. But um, are you talking WEC Jose Aldo days when you're when you're on there? I'm talking about yeah WEC bleeding over into the UFC where he was just dominating. I, mean, I may I'm have bad. bought a WEC Jose Aldo poster today. Yes, just Brandon, give me a give me a Jose Aldo fight. I should be watching on Fight Pass this week. Ooh. I kind of like round five against Hominick when Jose gassed a little and Hominick had that alien come out of his forehead and it was kind of yeah. a little bit of a war. That's not a yeah. bad one. I'll see him I against mean, Faber. I'll see him against Cowboy, right? Or not? No, he didn't fight Cowboy. You want to watch the Frankie fight again? 
Not the second one. That was a not uh, the second one. No, second one. No, seriously, the two Mendez fights are are I Mendes. love the second one especially. Love rewatching that right there. Uh, that is a great call. I've become a late in life uh, Jose Aldo fanatic, so I'll take some of that. My number five to fill the time, to fill the void, to drink too many beers and put on the fight pass. So fighters, I need to see Vitor. Belfort. And the best part about Vitor is there's multiple versions. Of course, I go right to 2013 Mohawk TRT spinning back kick, taking your soul, Vitor Belfort. But Rashad, you know, Vitor in shoes as a 19 year old UFC's answer to Mike Tyson. Dude, him walking down Vanderlei. Brandon, I know you weren't alive yet, but that's just flat. (laughs) And I even loved, guys, tell me if I'm wrong. I even love late, late, late career Belfort when he's going in there against like Gastelum and he's way too aggressive for his own good and he's just empty in the tank. Give it to me. I want it. I love that man. Can yeah, we run can we run down these fights with Vitor like soon while we're all just sitting around doing nothing? Yeah, we could. We can give him a call. He's around here somewhere. He's around here somewhere. I'm sure Mikey can pick him up with gloves on, bring him back to the house. We'll, we'll get, you know, we'll <laughs> give him a TRT sandwich. He'll be very happy to, to take this down. Brandon, do you have a Vitor Belfort favorite fight to watch? I mean, it's got to be soccer kicks with the shoes on. That's that's always going to be my favorite memory of Vitor. I also love the rumble fight going back. I like I like Vitor and Affliction Vitor. Remember Vitor and yes, Affliction? Remember? Yes. He was a beast in Affliction. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He scared me in Affliction. He scared he me in Affliction. He still scares me. I love it. I love it. All I right. Jeff Lowe had something to do with the Affliction in that in those days. Jeff Lowe is, is the – by the way, Jeff Lowe is the biggest dirtbag in all of Tiger King. I know. Did you find out – did you see that report that the uh, that his nanny is just a paid model? It's not a hot nanny? He doesn't have the open marriage we think he does, guys. All uh. right. Hey, Again, model, huh? why are you surprised by any of this? All right, all right. What do you got here, right. Rashad? Let's keep it Number going. four. Let's go. I like Kane. Kane is number four. Vintage Kane. I'm talking about the Kane that was just running through heavyweights with wrestling, not yes. with power, but with just wrestling, taking him down, hanging on their face, letting them back up, taking them back down again, punching them till they can't move no more, getting them back. I mean, that's the cane that I'm talking about, the wash and repeat cane, the one who destroyed Junior DeSantos. That's the cane that I'm talking about. The right? one that beat Daniel Cormier in training camp? Yes, that's the one I'm talking about. The, I have to the, say, the, one, the legend. I didn't believe in Brown Pride until the uh, the big nog fight when he when he took Nogueira's soul and just like manhandled him and knocked him out. I was like, oh god, this guy's for real. This guy's friggin' for real. Love it, love it, love it. By the way, that Brock fight when he you know dismantled Lesnar in three minutes. It's a fun little thing to throw up there when you when you drink too much on on the fight pass machine. Brock's watching, beard was watching great. Brock spin is always amazing. Yeah, and Brock with a permanent scar under his eye from that beatdown. Wow, wow, wow! All right, now my number four on UFC Fight Pass top five fighters to watch during a quarantine. Guys, it's the original, the OG, the Hoist Gracie Show. UFC's one, I believe two, four, and five. When he won those four tournaments, or maybe five was the super fight against Ken Shamrock. Either way, you know what I'm talking about. When you think barbaric, early, open weight UFC, you think Hoist Gracie. I'll watch any of them. He's in a gi. He's got a 100-pound weight disadvantage most of the time. And he's taking these dudes down very skillfully, climbing up their back and choking them out. But my favorite Hoist fight during that run by far, Rashad, tell me, if holler if you hear me is against Kimo 
Leopoldo yeah. because he took some damage hoisted for the first time. Hoist had to work for it. It looked like he was going to lose that fight. He got injured and ended up having to quit the tournament. And the way that he kind of miraculously tapped out both him and Dan Severn during moments when I was like, oh, he's they're going to get him. They're finally going to catch up with this guy. And he was still able to pull it out. Speaking of pull it out, shout out to that. I'll watch this guy anytime. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, man. When he when he came out on that fight with Chemo and he won that, like that that was the day he was born as a fighter. You know, because every fighter they have a day where they're born as a fighter, where it's like, you know what, that guy after today he's considered a fighter. You know, and that was his that was his coming up party. Damn Great right. fight by him. Damn right. But I, I'll I'll try to act like the Matt Hughes fight never happened. I, I, do you guys remember the circumstances oh there? Oh my god! Hoist hadn't been in the terrible. UFC. That was terrible. Though. In like twelve years, he comes back as a skinny light heavy or what was it? No, he was a middleweight or light heavyweight. I don't know. He fought Matt Hughes and got his arse kicked, and then he failed for steroids. It was just a bad night at the office. I wanted to believe that the magic was still real. The magic had been left back in 1996 or wherever. So, How about, you know? <laughs> about a hoist against Shamrock 2 last year or two years ago? I, I, I was overly excited for that third fight. I wrote a ton <laughs> of preview features. I uh, Yeah, and uh, what happened? Shamrock got hurt, right? Well, uh, um. Hoist kicked him close to the groin, and Ken tried to oversell yeah, that he got kicked in the groin, was, and then Ken, and then Hoist got his first knockout in like thirty years or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving. All Rashad, right, your my number, number three. three is none other than. Anderson Silva. Oh, Andy no. in the house. Yeah, yes. Anderson I like Silva. That. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Anderson Silva who was just freestyling on people. The guy who didn't warm up when he fought Chris Lieben, who was sleeping oh, underneath the desk, woke up five minutes before the fight, stretched out, and put on one of the baddest beatings I've ever seen in my life face-to-face. That's the Anderson Silva I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Anderson Silva who clowned Forrest yes, Griffin like with, a video game. with Matrix-type movement and sent him on his way. Made Forrest actually run out the arena. <laughs> That's the Anderson Silva I'm talking about, man. Oh, I love That's that guy. I don't, I don't just like it. I love it, Andy. I love it. I love it, man. Thank you, Andy. I love it. Um, when I think that version of early Anderson Silva, I mean, the two destructions of Rich Franklin are fun to watch just because of the brutality. But I love the Lieben fight you mentioned. Remember the James Irvin fight? Andy oh, had moved yeah. up to 205. <laughs> Dana was counter-programming that big strike force card, I think, with, with Fedor. And he caught that kick from Irvin, who was kind of a bad dude at that time, and knocked him out with one punch. And then you're like, oh, he could do this at 205, too. This guy's the, the real. He's the real. Brando, he's the real. Vitor face kick. Enough said. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You had never <laughs> seen that before, right? Right, Rashad? That face kick on, on Vitor? Never. 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 Seagal claims he taught him that. I just watched that interview the other day, the one that Ariel did oh with Seagal right gosh, after. Oh, my gosh. That was hilarious. <laughs> I love that. I love that indeed. All right. My number three on the must-watch UFC fight pass careers. Guys, it's very easy. It's Anthony Rumble Johnson. Not only did, if it, that's the guy to call up, you know, Chuck Liddell's another one, of course, but that's the guy to call up if you just want to see people straight up get slept. You want to see Glover Teixeira folded up into a suitcase. You watch that. But I especially love his early welterweight run where it's like, how the hell is this guy making 170? 
He's raw. He has to. He has like bad stretches of stamina, and then other times he's just gassed. But the uh, the head kicks he would attempt by back back then when he would touch you, God, that guy was fun. Could you imagine? Had he been able to stay disciplined and somehow stayed going at 170 and put enough wins together, what that would have looked like against GSP? Damn. No, you know, and at the time, uh, he, like, when he first came over to Black Zillions, when Mike Van Arsdale got a hold of him, he was like, yo, this guy's a special specimen. I can do some crazy stuff with him. So he was he was already salivating just because he's seen so much potential in Anthony Johnson. But I think Anthony, you know, he was so powerful because he he's he's stiff in a special kind of way. You know what I'm saying? It sounds crazy to say because <laughs> I, I think we he's all are, super yeah. stiff, but that stiffness that stiffness brings so much power, and he puts you out the minute he touches you with that stiffness. I, I have nothing bad to say about that stiffness. Just look at the stiffness. Thank you, thank you, Dwyer. <laughs> um, Brandon, do you have a I favorite? Saw, I saw, I saw a picture on Twitter the other day of his face-off with Dan Hardy at the weigh-ins. Dan Hardy was bigger than Rumble. How is that possible? I know. I still. I mean, how I did know. he ever make one seventy? How the hell? Remember, like a year ago, he was like two eighty five, all muscle. He looked like looked like Marius Pujanowski. I mean, this guy's body has been through a lot, and he's still going to come back and look to flatline people. Guys, we've always said it. We hope John Jones can turn his personal life around and get back in there. Rumble is the John Jones kryptonite. We almost saw that in twenty fifteen. What would have happened then? I think Rumble would have won just because of the fact that he's he was confident in a different kind of way. You know, uh, I think that when he fought DC, the wrestling broke his mentality a little bit. And it kind of and then afterwards, you've seen a different rumble. But before that time, before he went against that wrestling, he didn't know he could be beaten any kind of way. So for him, he was like, I'm the most I can defend wrestling. I can hit hard. You know, for him, there was no one who presented any kind of dangers to him. So he was going to sleep John Jones. Wow. You hear that? You hear that, Brandon? You heard it right here. Tell you he was gonna sleep him. Wow. Uh, I don't think so, but okay. I well, look, I mean, he hurt DC bad hard. in that first fight. He hurt listen, DC bad. I, listen, I'll say this. I'll say this. If, if there was somebody who could have slept John Jones, who I mean had a greater chance, greater chance in sleeping John Jones, it would have been Rumble at that time. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I'm just saying. I mean, I don't. I don't know about that happening actually like in a fight yet because the 2015 that's still like prime john jones and i think that john would have just played with his food and just poked at him from the outside waiting like making him gas out brandon we should set up a, a uh a one minute challenge if you can survive in the cage against rumble at hard knocks for don't one do, minute. don't why are you doing this <laughs> anyway uh why number, wish harm on me number two Br- uh rashad what do you got on your list here my number two is none other than send me your location. If you want to find me, I'm please talking about this. just send me location. Yes, I'm talking about send me location, Habib. Not the, not the Habib when he first came. I'm talking about send me your location, Habib, because send me your location, Habib. That Habib, his mindset 
was a little bit off that fight. You know, uh, Connor took him into a, a place where he hasn't been yet. You know, he was on some I'm going to kill everybody in this room type of stuff. And, and I think that was what we've seen in the fight. You know, he was, you know, adventurous with the stand up. He caught Connor with some nice hands. He showed that it wasn't just about his crazy ground control. He showed that he can do it on his feet. So that Habib, I put him against anybody. Brandon, you're the biggest Habib fan in the world. Uh, do you have a favorite? I mean, look, I like, I always rewatch the Michael Johnson one because he got rocked in that first round and then was able to put on that performance where he's telling Dana to stop the fight. I mean, yeah, you can't really go any further than him telling Michael Johnson to just, just give up. <laughs> just, just stop fighting me. I have a bigger plans here than fighting you anymore. Just please stop so I can move on with my day. I'm um, gonna smash your boy, guys. Uh, what did he call? He called him Big Chicken, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, um, the guy's yeah. amazing. What was the What was the one he fought in Tampa? I went to it, but I can't remember who he fought on like two days' notice. Some guy that they got off the street. Daryl Horcher. Daryl Horcher. Yes, I, that. I mean, that was just a mugging and a half. I'm with you on that one. Um, I can watch him at any time. He's one of those guys where it's like it can be one-sided and boring, but you just kind of are in awe of the skills I mean, to that level. The Edson Barbosa fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was, that was some right savage. That, was some, tough, that was some savage beating that he put on him that night. Wow. All right. My number two fighter to watch. It's an easy one, guys. You know him. You love him. Every single fight gives you something. Where I come from, you know, people like that get slapped. This guy normally does the slapping. It's Nick Diaz. And you want to mm. talk about a versatile fight pass career that you can watch. Look, the early UFC wars, Caro Parisian. Remember that fight, Rashad? Remember that freaking fight? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Diego <laughs> Sanchez. Those early wars are great because Nick gets in it. Then you got the strike force version of Nick. And obviously the, the Paul Daly brawl was incredible. And then you got the weird UFC second run version of Nick, you know, and it's like uh, the Anderson Silva weird fight and all that. Um, the the artistry, the toughness, the middle finger to the sport that he does. Um, it's uh, dude. I, remember the Frank, remember the Frank Shamrock fight? That was like yeah. where I was like, damn, damn, this guy has it. Um, I love his career so much. I wish we could see him again, even though I made that rant that one time that he's probably not mentally stable. Um, I wish we could see him one more time. <laughs> now, I agree, man. Both of Diaz brothers, I, I think that can go in, in this category or be on this list just because when, whenever you're watching any one of these guys, even if they're losing a fight, it's always going to be something you want to watch just because even in losing, they lose a certain kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Where, where, where you just kind of like, you know, you, you kind of uh, you kind of feel them a little bit, even when they lose. So I think that um, these guys are definitely good to have on it. And and Nick, he's one of those guys who I thought, man, if he could have just 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 play by the rules a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Just a little bit more. He would have been one of those guys that that people are talking about as as one of the best ones to ever do it. You know, because he's I mean, talent wise, he was just on another level, but just was too real for the game. Brandon, do you have any thoughts on this man? Uh, I watched his fight with GSP last week or two weeks ago, and I thought he got his ass kicked. But Yeah, I don't know if he was in the right mental space. GSP way too skilled for him at that point. You would have liked if he was able to turn that into a more of a brawl or get in GSP's head. It just didn't happen. 
just didn't happen. Well, he, the, the, they did the whole, like, pre-fight thing, like, on Reloaded or whatever. And he was basically saying, like, I w- if this is a boxing match, I'm going to dominate him. And it's like, well, it's not a boxing match, and you're not going to be able to keep GSP <laughs> off of you. So how are you going to win? <laughs> Dude, I, d- that was a bad night at the office for him. He had a little bit more success against Silva, but was a little bit weirder, of course, in the way that fight went out. But uh, give me early Nick when he's just – I mean, I love when he gets hurt early in fights because that's when he gets that, like, stick up his ass. He starts slapping, starts, you know, hitting you with those quick jabs. I feel like he created his own sort of boxing style within the MMA framework, and um, you don't see anyone else really doing that. It's like a DS special, Rashad. You don't see kids in the gym learning how to slap and throw that quick jab and 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 but you know it's like slap slap big punch, right? It's yeah, like yeah, it's like yeah. Machida hits like a bitch until he lets the big one go, right? Yeah, lying. Slap you to death until you hear the pat 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 pat. One of them skibbity paps gonna come through. All right, it's time for number one. I want to know when Rashad's had too much to drink and he's on the couch or he's got a toad in his hand and he's ready to go downtown. And he's like, man, let me just watch one guy's career, four or five fights in a row. Let me entertain myself. Who is number one? None other than George St. Pierre Tabernacle my friend. Yes, I have to say, <laughs> George is St. Pierre. <laughs> George is my guy to watch. Listen, when it comes to just having a wide array of fast skills that you can learn from, it's GSP, whether it's learning how to hit a transition from striking to takedown or just watching some beautiful artistry with some martial art kicks and the beautiful setups that he had from Phil Nurse. You know, those that whole series of 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 tricks that he had. You don't see people hitting those tricks that they, that he used to hit that Phil Nurse, you know, those those those. The Superman punches and all, you know, the Superman punch to the low kick. George had like a series that he had out with with a bunch of misdirections and missteps that he used in that time where he was on point. And it started with with what he did with uh, Matt Hughes. Remember how he put Matt Hughes trick back? After that, he was he bodied everybody with um with those tricks that he was learning from Phil Nurse, the misdirections and the Superman punches with the low kicks. That's the GSP that I watch. I mean, early one. GSP, before he became five-round GSP, and that's not a bad thing, but he certainly became, let me master efficiency and jabs and, you know, let me just control every aspect of this to take away the excitement. Early GSP was fun as balls, and I love it. I love it. Uh, there was always three things that were certain when George stepped into the cage. Water is wet, fire burn, and I'm going to beat Michael Bisping. I mean, he's, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong there, but... um. The fact that he didn't have that background, Rashad, and yet he's in the conversation for best wrestlers to ever, you know, step into the octagon. Like yeah. it shows you the the genius level, the work ethic. Um, go back and rewatch the. If you want to see a war, go back and rewatch the Johnny Hendricks fight. You know, I mean, like he he was in some fun ones, man. I love me some GSP. Uh, how impressed? Looking back, I know Bisping was old, but how impressed were you with that performance overall? I was really impressed with it just because of the simple fact that it's so hard to take yourself from a position that he was in not competing against the best and, and not having his body tested to that level to then jump in there to fight somebody who who has been, you know, competing regularly, the world champion and honestly the best that they have ever been in Michael Bisming because when he beat Luke Rockhold, it's like he finally understood all those concepts and all those different moves that eluded him throughout the years and now we started to you know just 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 gain some knowledge so he was a tough michael bisbing to beat 
when uh, when GSP fought him. So I was really impressed with that. All right, I will wrap up here. My number one, the guy I go to, it's not a surprise. It's not a upset here. It's ruthless friggin' Robbie Lawler. We know what he looks to do when he enters the cage. He's unapologetic. Because if I hurt him, I wasn't taking his neck. What were you going to take? His soul. <laughs> that's the cold. That's the coldest line I've heard. Ever. That's so cold. It's so man. brilliantly so delivered. Cold. And the here's what ultimately why I love him, because he makes action fights. Well, yeah, but he was able to get to a super elite level, a world championship level, yet still execute the game plan, which is. I'm not trying to win rounds. I'm trying to knock you out because in his biggest fights, you go watch those two Hendricks fights, for example. Like there's rounds he just takes off because he's dead ass tired from trying to kill you the round before. And you want brutality. You watch the Condit fight. You watch the second Roy McDonald fight. He'll get in that hell with you and come out and lick the blood. And I mean, I just love this man. And obviously I got respect for how he was able to stay with the craft because we all remembered him as young Robbie Lawler in Strike Force. Mm-hmm. He's just a brawler, man. He's just a fun TV fighter. For him to turn that around and become champion, I love me some Robbie Lawler. It doesn't matter the fight. It doesn't matter the era. It doesn't matter the style of opponent. You're going to turn that fight on. You're going to you're gonna have fun. Brandon, tell me I'm wrong. Try to tell me something about my soul that's wrong with loving this man this much. I mean, I can tell you there's a lot of things wrong with your soul. It doesn't have anything to do with this fight. Um, yeah, the McDonald. I, I, I will not. I, if I'm cruising the channels and I come across the Robbie Lawler, uh, Rory McDonald fight, I'm stopping every time yes. just because it's just such an amazing brutality that you have to watch it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've I was always a big fan of Robbie before I got a chance to really, really get to know him, and now that he has been part of my team and just watching his development on the team and just watching him, you know, train for the second half of his career. You know, I've gained so much uh, respect for him because he's he's um, extremely efficient at his training and he's extremely simple. You know, he doesn't make things complicated. He uh, keeps a simple mindset and his mindset when it comes to training, when it comes to competing is is on point you know and he's he he's one of those guys who um who pushes just like he does in the fights he does that in practice love it brandon you sat here as we broke this ish down but you're your own man who are you throwing up who did we miss who is what's your flavor I mean, I could have added Rose Namajunas, who I love watching. There's a lot of specialists. There's brawlers. There's crazy people. Carl Parisian, I love that man. I'll watch his whole career from where he was fat in Bellator. Who do you like? I mean, you're going to laugh at this, but I would say I would throw Ronda's, Ronda's resume out there just because it's the fights are so quick <laughs> that I can get through it in like an hour and be done and be like, all right, I feel better now. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Well, you know who I would throw in that mix though? I would throw in Joanna. And and I and I, and I wish that I would have threw her in there, man. Joanna Champion is somebody that that I just love watching her fight, whether she's winning or whether she's losing because she 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 goes she goes for it. She goes for it and she puts her heart in it. You know what I'm saying? And whether she's ugly face losing in the fight, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. she's losing or she's going out there killing people. You know, at the end of the day, that girl, she goes for it. Boogie Woman is coming tomorrow and she doesn't know what's coming. 
I wish thing I, is, I you need you need like too. four hours to get through Ioana's fights though, <laughs> because that's they're just that's all true. wars that go twenty five minutes each. That Good thing is... we're in quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Brandon. Before we close, you had a, one quick question you wanted to hit us with. I did. Of which fighter we would? Oh, <laughs> so uh, this is more of like a stupid Twitter thing, but. Let's say that you're in quarantine right now, and then all of a sudden the government decides we're going to lock you all in your houses, and then the zombie apocalypse starts. What fighter do you want on your side to help you fight off the zombies? Mm. Hmm. I want Cowboy. Did I freeze? No, you're good. Yeah, so I want Cowboy for sure. I think I froze. I want... um... Let's think here. That's that's a good question here. I definitely want Cowboy on my team. He's 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 uh. I mean, I want I want a one shotter like Nganu on my team. That's not that's not a yeah bad yeah thing. Nga- yeah yep Nganu definitely Nganu. Uh, I want Usman. You know, I want Usman. I want my boys on my team. I uh, I'd throw man. Mike Perry on the front lines. I mean, he he he'd kamikaze himself to take out a few zombies, Brandon. You I'll take that. Brian Stan. Brian, see, I want people with military experience who That's understand true. it, not just people who know how to fight. I'm talking about people who understand strategy. Yeah, that's not a bad idea there. That, that I, I like a little crazy too. Just give me a, I mean, give me a, give me an old school gunslinger like Chuck Liddell, but give me a little bit of crazy too. Um, Brandon Wise has left the building. Sorry about that, Brandon. You did pose a great question. You're not going to be able to answer it here. <laughs> uh, we do have to wrap things up. Uh, Rashad Evans, we can follow you on social media. Oh, Brandon's yeah. back in. Brandon, you good? You there? Are you with me, Brandon? No. All right. We got to go. Uh, follow you on social media. Rashad, you got anything else to uh, to uh, tell the people here? No. Listen, guys, in quarantine, make sure you um... – are don't forget don't neglect your diet eat right lymphatic health is the most important thing during any uh, during this crisis immunity health uh, make sure you're getting outside getting some sunlight getting some exercise until you sweat and uh that's all i got for the people i like that i like that indeed please check out our other work on state of combat check out rashad this week him and i deep diving the Ultimate Fighter 2 and his coming out party into the UFC. Not going to want to miss that. A lot of reveals in there. A lot of lot of fun little stuff there. I think someone crapped their pants too, if I remember. Or two. No, Rashad may have pissed himself at one point. Spoiler alert, you're going to have to check that out for Rashad Evans, for Brandon Wise, for our producer, Mikey Mormile. Hey guys, we can get through this fight together. I know, I know it's crazy, but let's do it. Keep it up. Two words. We out.